This podcast is supported by Pentax Medical. Now, welcome back to our weekly endoscopy podcast. My name is Björn Rambaken. I'm an endoscopist in Leeds. And uh, today I'm talking to Nick Burr, one of the rising stars in gastroenterology working here in Leeds with us. He has a finger firmly on the pulse of adenoma detection and post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer. I decided to ambush him with some rather difficult questions about our obsession with adenoma detection and see if I can convince him that the post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer is completely irrelevant to individual endoscopists. Now, I have to apologize for the acoustics in my office. It's probably not the best, but I hope that you can still hear us. I remember reading Michael Kominsky's paper from 2010 to remind you, there were three groups of adenoma detection, and the endoscopists with the lowest adenoma detection rate, their patients clocked up something like one in a thousand risk of having a cancer within the year of the colonoscopy. And um, and I thought to myself, that's that's brilliant news. That you know, why if I turned around to my patient and said, Mrs. Smith, I can I guarantee that your risk of bowel cancer in the next year is, is, is only one in a thousand. Most of my patients would turn around and say, thank you very much, Dr. Rambacher. That's, that's great news. On the other end of the spectrum, the doctors with the with best adenoma detection rate, their patient had a something like one in a 10,000 risk of clocking up a bowel cancer within, within a year. And I don't think they, those patients are gonna be any happier. They couldn't really improve on those figures. Someone familiar with the dark arts thought, we need to we need to spin those figures, make them look worse than they are. Well, you know, what we'll do, we'll look at the problem the other way around. The patients who did get bowel cancer, how many of those patients did have a colonoscopy in the preceding, not one year, but in the preceding three years? That figure looked way worse. And then all of a sudden, we can get all the colonoscopies out there really worried. And an avoided colonoscopist is probably a better colonoscopist. So I wonder if there's a cabal of, <laughs> <laughs> of wizards out there controlling how we think about polyps and adenoma detection. I think you're, uh, you're right in the way that uh, you're thinking about it and the absolute misrates um, for uh, cancers occurring after a negative colonoscopy are low. Um, but um, I think to focus only on that gives you perhaps a false reassurance um, that it isn't a problem because ultimately you have to remember that we're trying to do colonoscopies to detect cancers, to detect precancerous lesions and prevent uh, colorectal cancer and unfortunately cancers are still occurring uh, after colonoscopies so it isn't uh, a perfect science and we can do better I think when you look at these miss rates on an individual level, they can give you some reassurance. But I think the way it has to be seen is on population level or a, a service level, um, how good are we at detecting cancers? And then conversely, how can we stop missing cancers? And once you start to think of it a bit more like that and you actually look at the individual cases of post-colonoscopy cancer, uh, you can then see the places where on a a unit level, a service level, even a national level, we can get better to bring these numbers down. And if you look at it as a post-colonoscopy cancer rate, 
even small changes in that rate, so the percentage of falsely negative cancers, uh, colonoscopies compared to ones that detect cancers, if you make small adjustments in that rate on a national level, you're making big differences to the numbers of cancers that we're picking up early. So even hundreds or thousands, if you just bring that rate down even a, a small amount. So in the UK, if you were talking about bringing the national rate, say, down from 6%, so that's uh, six, at the moment around 6% of all um cancers detected will have had a colonoscopy that didn't detect cancer so if you bring that rate down to five percent four percent the bowel cancer screening rate of 3.6 percent you can actually detect thousands of cancers earlier and that means that that's a big difference to a lot of people so i think the post colonoscopy cancer rate is a good metric for looking overall how good we are at performing colonoscopy you can't look at a post colonoscopy cancer rate for an individual or even a unit because you're not detecting enough cancers and this is my gripe with it you can imagine a terrible colonoscopist doing a hundred colonoscopies a year he might have a one in one in a thousand risk of one of his patients being diagnosed with intraoral cancer. So he would take 10 years before he clocks up one single uh, post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer. And then you can have an excellent colonoscopist. He does 10 times more colonoscopies a year, a thousand of them. He's referred large polyps. He's, he does uh, surveillance in osteocolitis, Lynch syndrome, Pusjega syndrome and stuff. And because of the background risk of cancer in these people are so high, he's got to clock up way more post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer. And my worry then is how many root cause analysis can you can you kind of face before you do? But someone starts thinking, look, is is George? He's back in here again. He's got he's got he's clocked up another post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer. There's no smoke with that fire, is there? We better look hard into this guy's data. This, you know, we've seen him ten times now, just in the last couple of years. So for for poor George, I'd say actually <laughs> you'd want to do a, a root cause analysis to find out exactly the reasons. And we know that um, high, more high risk patients uh, will have more risk of a, a an interval cancer or post colonoscopy cancer. But it, it's the areas that we can improve the easy wins if we find that it's all because of ba bad bowel prep, if we find that it's all because of bad admin errors, if we find that patients aren't getting letters and aren't coming back for their tests, they're pretty easy wins to make quite a big difference. Then if there are lessons to be learned on an individual level or a unit level about how we assess for residual polyp tissue, um, how we improve inspection in the right colon, then that's things that we can all learn from to improve from and I, I don't think again it should be seen as a, a witch hunt for those reasons it, it is to improve things on a service level and there and there are easy wins so I still think that there are some fast growing lesions there that probably you couldn't detect yeah I, th I think undoubtedly that will be the case for some of the cancers but I think a lot, a lot of the time, um, it will be that there was a small lesion that uh, was there before that has taken some time to grow and perhaps wasn't seen at the index test. Um, we'll never know uh, in a lot of the cases. Um, as a kind of rule of thumb, uh, the World Endoscopy Organization took a cutoff as uh, four years after an adequate examination, so where there was good bowel preparation and there was reported. 
sequel intubation. Um, if it was an adequate test like that, then after a four-year interval, it was assumed that it was a de novo lesion. Well, I guess part of my part of my issue is that you can't go to a conference nowadays without being hammered about adenoma detection. It's, it's become a be all and end all. We need to find small, you know, more and more polyps, smaller and more polyps, and and, and we've got a whole industry that's been built up around it, driving our anxiety about finding tiny little polyps. To be frank, I I, I don't want to find any more one, two, three millimeter little polyps. I, I find enough of them. I don't want to find any more, and I don't believe that finding more tiddly little polyps actually save my patient from a risk of, uh, of developing bowel cancer. And there's some evidence behind that. There was a Norwegian study by AID from 1986 that put the annual conversion rate of cancer from an average uh, contrast enema detected polyp at 1.25 at 5 years, 2.5% risk at 10 years, and a 5% risk of turning cancerous at 20 years. That's a tiny risk. A year later was another barium enema study of larger polyps, bigger than 10, um, 10 millimeters, which if left in place, they estimated that the risk of cancer uh, at 2.5% at 5 years, 8% at 10 years, and 24% at 20 years. So that, that was higher, that risk. But these polyps were bigger. And of course, uh, nobody would advocate leaving a, a 50 millimeter polyp in place. But even so, the risk of these largest polyps developing into cancer was small. And then we've got another study uh, published, I think, in Lancet Oncology 2013 by Picard. 306 polyps followed by CTC. Only 6% of these polyps in the 6 to 9 millimeter range grew larger than 10 millimeter at an average of 2.3 years. So these polyps grow slowly. And most don't turn cancerous. And yet we're so worried about missing them. I, th I think you're absolutely right, and uh, it, we we need to remember as uh, colonoscopists that all polyps don't turn into cancer. And there was a, a further study that used uh, computer microsimulation models to look at polyp growth rates, and they estimated that um, from mucosa to turn from normal mucosa to cancerous mucosa took anywhere between ten and up to twenty years. So it is a long time, but. That's using it's using quite broad brush strokes, uh, talking about things like that because there will be certain polyps, small polyps that gather up the mutations and have the right um, characteristics to turn cancerous more quickly. And how how we isolate those from an early stage as opposed to all of these polyps, I think, is uh, the key to some of this. I think my smallest colorectal cancer was something like five millimeters. And it's hard to imagine that that started its life as an adenoma. You wonder about it starting its life as a cancer. If so, how, what is the explanation then? Why, why do we go on about the adenoma detection rate as, as being so important? Yeah, I, I think we both agree that it is, or at least at the moment, it's a very good surrogate marker for people who are taking time to find the little polyps. So if you're taking time to find the little polyps, you're also taking time to make sure you've done a deep sequel intubation, uh, you're looking in the right colon twice, you're getting rid of all the puddles, you're taking um, a good amount of time to come back uh, and withdraw the colonoscope. So it's just, I think, 
and I think you agree it's a surrogate marker for someone who's interested in And I guess you can't measure what's inside people's head. You can't, we can't really measure attitude. So adenoma detector rate, what are you saying? The best surrogate marker for a good attitude. Yeah, I think so. And I think one thing we're going to have to consider now is that does an adenoma detection rate in 2020 mean the same as an adenoma detection rate five years ago without all the adjuncts, without all the cuffs, without the high definition scopes, without the uh, dye spray or um, virtual chromoendoscopy to making your life easier to pick up the adenomas, you might find that it doesn't correlate as well with post-colonoscopy cancer rates, uh, death from cancer. And then with does an adenoma detection rate that's been improved by artificial intelligence, does that uh, mean as much as it did before? I think it's something that might change and we just need to be aware of. Well, I've got high hopes for AI because I do worry a little bit about <laughs> ADR. It, it, it's, it's something which is open to gaming. You know, if, if you're a gaming kind of mind, you might say, okay, I'm just going to find a couple of little polyps in this patient and then that's it, job done. I can, I can pull out as, as quickly as I can. I don't need to wash the bubbles and suck out all the puddles. But of course, with AI, hopefully in the future, AI could tell you what percentage of the mucosa you didn't look at at colonoscopy, how long it took to pull back from the, from the cecum, and whether you retroflex around folds, etc., and give you an, an unbiased metric of the quality of the examination, which might actually be better than this, than the, than this simple and easily gamed adenoma detection rate. On the topic of um, post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer, if I understand you correctly, at the moment, the risk that one of my patients will come back in three years' time with cancer is something like one in 3,000. It's important to just say that it, it's not a one-size-fits-all number. And again, I think you can get into territory of false reassurance if you think of it in those terms, because it's very, very much related to, as you've said, patient characteristics, so diverticular disease, inflammatory bowel disease, polyposis syndromes, um, as well as patient factors. So women, unfortunately, are more higher risk of post-chronoscopy colorectal cancer, um, I didn't know that. Right. Well, what is the reason for that? Well, we don't know, but it needs... Exploring. More, more. But it's also other procedural factors, such as the bowel preparation. Um, so it, it's not a one-size-fits-all. So I don't think you can consent people very confidently before a test for what the miss rate is going to be. What we should get better at after the test is saying... If the bowel preparation hasn't been adequate, if we've taken off a big polyp, we shouldn't give patients false reassurance. So if someone's had a colonoscopy and then they get some rectal bleeding three months after the test, we definitely don't want them to ignore that because it'd be quite easy for the patient and maybe even the clinicians to think, oh, they've had a colonoscopy, they can't have bowel cancer. And then those people might delay coming back for a repeat examination. So what you're saying is paranoia in a colonoscopist is a good thing, but paranoia in a patient is, is also a good thing. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, another gripe that I got about post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer, what is a good enough post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer rate? 
is there such a thing as a, I don't think or is each is yeah. every postcolonial cancer a tragedy and that was unavoidable and there's lessons to be learned yeah so we're never going to get this down to zero and i don't think anybody expects that what we're learning more and more and more is that the rates are certainly coming down nine percent eight percent seven percent over the last 10 years five years and we've now got a benchmark at least in england about what can be achieved and that's the bowel cancer screening program so the post colonoscopy cancer rate is 3.6 so i think as everything gets better and the whole colonoscopy service gets better that might be a reasonable um target or even lower than that but you're not going to get it down to zero so you do agree with me that there are probably cancers that you just can't detect they're too they're too evil from the beginning they're too fast growing the true interval cancers fast growing inflammatory cancers that yeah we'll never be able to um, detect by colonoscopy and also there'll be people who for whatever reason have a colon that can't be surveyed by colonoscopy so if you had a failed sequel intubation and a cancer afterwards that would be flagged up as a post colonoscopy cancer but that's no fault of anybody it's just the way that these things are classified and of course here in the uk we've got the national endoscopy database which has got to be revolutionary isn't it i i'm not aware of any country in the world having a similar system where each endoscopy unit private or nhs will speak to a central server and all the information will be uploaded on millions of patients every year at, at the moment the national endoscopy database as far as i'm aware can't be linked to other sources um, because it's an anonymized um, in the future it would be a very, very helpful resource to mainly look at the reasons for the cancers. I wonder in the future if the if the British National Endoscopy Database data will be accepted around the world, or will the Spanish colonoscopy say, "Oh, no, that's the British. They're, they're different <laughs> to us. We're not. We're doing it differently over here. We've got the Mediterranean diet. It changes everything." <laughs> <laughs> My suspicion is that each country will have to come up with their own national endoscopy database. So another thing to think about with how risky these polyps are in turning into cancer and whether we should be taking them off is to think about what our incomplete resection rate is. And I don't know whether you saw the recent systematic review in gastroenterology from the group from Montreal where they've looked at the incomplete resection rates. Well... Normally, the, an acceptable uh, incomplete resection rate would be around 10%. Uh, but of course, that is in ivory towers that publish the figures, etc. If you, if you look out there in a, in a kind of community se- uh, practice setting, I think it's worse than that. I would, have, I would guess 15%. So it was quite sobering to me, at least when I read this review because it's a very thorough systematic review 32 studies over 9,000 polyps um, and the incomplete resection rate for polyps 11 millimeters to 20 millimeters was 21 percent yeah there you have it Uh, so clearly removing all these uh, polyps they don't all lead to cancer because otherwise our post colonoscopy cancer rates would be much higher if these 20% of polyps that were left behind were turning into something nasty. Yes. Um, and 
the other interesting thing that was looked at in the study in one of the subgroup analysis was looking at so-called expert colonoscopists versus everybody else, the non-expert group. And the rate of incomplete resection was 8% in the expert group versus 18% in the non-expert group. And that's for polyps up to 10 millimetres. So I think that goes again with our surrogate markers of adenomic detection rate. This is probably another where someone with a good adenoma detection rate, an expert colonoscopist, is probably better at taking off polyps. And that might be another reason why. If you if you take care, if you pay attention, finding little polyps, trying to do things right, you wash the mucosa, you, you empty the puddles, then when it comes down to taking the polyps off, you take more care. You look more carefully that you have actually cleared the polyp. I think, I think it again boils down to attitude. So, so Nick, is there a number then where you, you have so few post-colonoscopic colectal cancers that there's actually no point in to, for your unit to come up with a, an overall figure because you simply don't have enough cancers uh, in a year to come up with any useful data? Yes, yeah, so that's a really important point and it's why it has to be stressed that a post-colonoscopy cancer rate is not used for individual colonoscopists, even small units. When we looked at the national data we did a power calculation to work out how many cancers you'd need to detect in order to be a significant statistical outlier and that number was 96 so that was over a three-year period a unit would have to detect at least 96 colorectal cancers in order to have enough to see a significant rate so the post-colonoscopy cancer rate is not used to assess individual basis it's more for units, services, regions, national uh, data to look at how well we're performing over time and then it is a, is a useful metric I think. So in a unit like Leeds we're doing we're doing about 5,000 colonoscopies a year. What can I tell my patients is there a particular risk of developing colorectal cancer in the next three years? If you wanted to err on the side of caution you'd say your risk is up to around 1 in 250, 1 in 300. Right. But if you were to spin it around the other way, <laughs> you'd say uh, it's as low as 1 in 2,500. If it's someone who has an immaculately clean bowel, you get all the way around, you've seen everything, they don't have any other risk factors, uh, so the risk is low for... A patient with low risk of cancer. But I guess in all our conversation there's one figure that we haven't talked about that is if you don't have a colonoscopy what is your risk age I don't know 65 or something of being diagnosed out of the blue with a bowel cancer in the next three years that's what is the figure <laughs> is, is it an accepted figure I guess it isn't is that I suspect you're going to say look an individual's risk of bowel cancer is so individual and that's why I think we're moving away from recommending routine surveillance colonoscopies so for people who've had a normal colonoscopy essentially with low risk adenomas or certainly no high risk adenomas there's no reason to routinely schedule another colonoscopy. If you're scoping a 20-year-old, you can do a rubbish colonoscopist and you can still turn around to the patient and say, I can guarantee you, you're not going to get a bowel cancer for at least 30 years now. But if you're doing a colonoscopy in a 70-year-old in a with colitis for 20 years, then you can't give that reassurance to the patient. Yeah. And certainly looking at 
some of the root cause analyses for these uh, post-colonoscopy cancers, we've, we've started to see that, yes, there are high-risk groups who you can't miss their site check surveillance, you can't miss their follow-up scopes because these are the people who are at higher risk and it's those kind of things that we can learn from doing these exercises uh, getting better at stratifying the risk for different patients and then again using our resources a bit more wisely well i think we can conclude that it is complicated yeah <laughs> <laughs> more complicated than the headline figures uh, seem to suggest but you can't improve things if you don't look into things and you can't start to do anything about the these processes and to make things better until you find out about it. Yes. So I, I think it's something that we've been blissfully unaware of uh, for a long time because your miss rate, your chance as a colonoscopist of having one of these is extremely low. And you and never get to hear about yeah, it. Yeah, and you'll never find out about it. But on a national level, on a service level, if you think of the reasons why we're doing the colonoscopies, it is important. So... If we can drop the rates a little bit, we can make a big difference on a national scale. Yes, save potentially thousands of lives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Nick. Thanks for that. Now, thanks, Nick, for a very clear dissection on the issues around adenoma detection and post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer. Uh, we'll have to do something about that sound quality, though, in my office. Anyway... That concludes this week's podcast. I hope that you do subscribe and will tune in again on Friday at five o'clock when I'll be uploading the next latest endoscopy news. Bye for now. This podcast was supported by Pentax Medical.